welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction Welcome to TALC, Teaching and Learning Consultation Skills. My name is Avril Danchak and I'm a GP and medical educator. This podcast is brought to you with the support of Health Education England North West and their talented GP educators. I'm joined by two of them today who are going to introduce themselves. Julian. Hi, thanks Avril. I'm a GP trainer in Bolton and a primary care medical educator in Manchester. Anne? Hi, I'm Anne Thomas. I'm a GP in Manchester and a primary care medical educator, also in Manchester. This podcast relates to the TALC module, which is called TALC, Effective Methods for Teaching Consultation Skills. In each chapter of this module, there are suggested methods for teaching the skills needed for each part of the consultation. And and this whole module focuses on teaching as a skill in itself, which can be learnt continuously developed by educators. There are different kinds of effective teaching methods for helping clinicians learn consultation skills. Initially, educators will need to use methods that engage clinicians into this subject matter and help them see its importance. Then everyone needs to develop their feedback skills. Finally, there are specific teaching methods to develop skills, including how to make skills rehearsals effective, exploring specific skills like active listening. More complex methods like role play and video problem solving can also be used to get really deeper into the skills needed for effective consultations. These are all described in detail in the modules. Today, we're going to explore some of the material from the chapters called Helping Participants Get On Board with Consultation Skills Education, which is about building basic concepts, and Am I nearly there yet? Skills for receiving and giving effective feedback. Julian, could you start us off by telling us about the mapping exercise that you use to help people learning consultation skills get their learning off to a good start? Thanks, Abel. Yeah, one of the exercises we use when starting off consultation skills teaching with our Manchester trainees, but this could also work in an individual setting, is to start by exploring their experience and knowledge of the clinicians consultation frameworks they've all come from various backgrounds in the past we've had a trainee who's done an advanced consultation skills module in Cambridge versus people who've had no formal education on the consultation in in their undergraduate training we start by asking the groups to think about consultations that they've had uh, and then in a little group to actually design a consultation model we give them the task that Pretend nobody's ever done this before, and you're the first person to design a consultation model. And then they work together, bringing in their you know, experiences and produce a model, which is then shared with all the other groups. The benefit we found with that is, one, it, it helps them consolidate the knowledge that they have and putting it down onto paper and presenting it. But also, all the groups then get to see everybody else's model, so good ideas are shared, and any omissions that can be uh, corrected or added in. And it also helps us as, as the educators get a good idea of the standard of the knowledge in the room. So we found that a really helpful exercise. That's a really powerful exercise. And I think it illustrates how educators can be using the principles of the educational triangle very effectively there. Because you're using it partly as an assessment to get a grip on, on what your particular group is like, what they know already, what they might need to learn about, what their own attitudes are. You're introducing the idea of the fact 
fact there might be a set of objectives for the consultation, that there might be a kind of almost a curriculum for the consultation, that there are certain tasks which are going to be achieved in the consultation. And you've used an experiential method to get people talking, to get them to produce something themselves in real time, to share something on paper. Uh, And that's a very powerful way of using all those different aspects of, of training. One thing I think is very important when we're doing consultation skills training is to understand and help our participants to understand that there are certain tasks of the consultation, for example, to gather the right information. But knowing that you've got to achieve that means that you also need to learn what skills you need to do that. So I'm just thinking about how we develop skills and how we improve skills. Um, We know that if we practice a skill, it makes it permanent, whereas we also know that if you get feedback on a skill, it helps you to make perfect. So I'm thinking, um, what do educators need to do to help people give and receive feedback more effectively? It helps to go back to thinking about what feedback is. Unfortunately, often our trainers, they equate feedback with criticism, which is really sad, actually. And they've often had some quite negative experiences of ineffective feedback. We hoped to bring them to understand that effective feedback has specific elements to it. Um, I mean, most of them will appreciate that having feedback that is specific, it's against a measurable standard, it's something that's achievable for them, and it's realistic is better than sort of nebulous, non-specific comments that many of them may have received as feedback. So we think of these as SMART characteristics, that's S-M-A-R-T. And the final part of that is receiving feedback in a timely fashion to ensure its maximum effectiveness. When we do a a feedback session with clinicians in training, we get them to really think about feedback that they've received in the past, about effective and ineffective feedback, and, and to really draw out what made it either of those things. And often, If they're thinking about ineffective feedback, we get these themes of non-specific feedback or feedback that had personal or emotional content that was just unhelpful. And then we ask them in a group to think about how that feedback would have improved and what effective feedback would really look like. In addition, we've also used a sort of group exercise to reinforce this. So um, it's usually a pretty fun exercise in a group. We'll begin by asking them just to get a pen and a piece of paper. And then as a group, we'll just ask them to draw a horse. So we give instructions. We say, we'd like you to create an image that's recognisable as a horse. It's usually quite a good thing to do in the group. A bit of surprise often, a bit of laughter sometimes. But the group will then get on and create an image for us. Can I just ask you, Anne, do they do this as individuals or does the whole group produce one big horse? No, sorry, Avril, yeah. No, they, as individuals, so they've each got a pen and paper. Individually, we want them to think about the instruction and draw themselves for us to see, but on their own, an image of a horse. Okay. So once the group's finished, we then as the educator, pick out a horse at random. And then the idea here is that we want to model giving some positive but non-specific feedback. So something along the lines of, wow, you know, what an awesome horse. Or then we'll perhaps pick another and say, wow, well done, that horse is fabulous. But then we won't give any more detail to that. We move on then perhaps to another horse, maybe not the worst in the group, and give some negative but non-specific feedback along the lines of, well, that's not great, is it? You really haven't captured a horse there again just to model how that negative bit of feedback but it doesn't have any quality to it the final part of the exercise is to select a horse you know perhaps a middle of the range horse not the best not the worst but then to give some specific feedback aha the brief was draw a recognizable horse 
you've drawn a figure with four legs, a long face, a mane and a tail, which means that I can recognise this as a horse. And then we might say something like, it would have been even better if the legs were a little longer, because that would mean that we'd be less likely to mistake it for a llama and definitely know it's a horse. And it's a bit of a you know fun exercise, but we really want to try and model the idea that the feedback that is specific is the most effective. And even positive feedback, if it's non-specific, it doesn't have very much use to the learner. I think that's really helpful. It sounds an interesting and effective way of exploring what feedback's all about. And I like the specificity of saying, well, this is a recognisable horse, but it would be even better if you did whatever you needed to do, because that also gives the idea of continuous improvement, doesn't it? Julian, I'd like to explore another issue now, which is how to receive feedback. So why do clinicians need to learn how to receive feedback? Thanks, Laurel. Yeah, clinicians often seem really surprised when we ask them if they've been taught to receive feedback. I think we're all much more used to the idea of, of being trained to give feedback rather than receiving feedback. But receiving feedback is so important. And in training, it can really reinforce the good things we're doing, as well as showing us the bits that we, we could really do with changing and what we need to do differently. I suppose this can be a bit of a challenge at first. Like any new thing, it can be a difficult concept and it might need a little bit of understanding and practice. We use various exercises to practice this and, and introduce different concepts. And the first concept is bringing in gratitude for feedback, whatever the feedback might be. So when the feedback's delivered, having a pause, maybe a deep breath, and then thanking the person for that feedback. It may be that you don't necessarily feel that thankful for the feedback that you're receiving. But just by putting that pause in and thanking the person for spending the time, giving the time up to give you some feedback can actually help just let the emotions settle down when, when we're receiving something. Very often the clinicians we work with will talk about experiences that Anne alluded to of, you know, where feedback wasn't that helpful. But again, by bringing this concept in of being grateful and, and pausing, that can really help us take what needs to come out of the feedback. Once the emotions have settled, it's then good to practice the curiosity. So asking some clarification questions. Can I just ask what made you say that? Or can I clarify what you meant? And then taking it to another level to ask questions to how to improve. So how could you suggest that I could do that differently to improve? By practicing various exercises on this and then taking the concepts away and practicing receiving feedback with other people, the clinicians often report this being a massive sea change in their training year that we spend with them in ST3. Julian, I'd like to give you a bit of feedback about that exposition. I think it was really helpful and particularly this idea of saying thank you for that feedback so that people can let things sink in and then following it up with curiosity. I think both of those seem like very practical suggestions. Thank you for that feedback, Abel. It's okay. I think learning to give and receive feedback must be a critical part of effective teaching and learning of consultation skills. And there are some specific skills for trainers here too. So Anne, I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about giving feedback. There's a method called SETGO. What's that all about? Yeah, so SETGO is an acronym. It's, it's basically a method of giving some structure to feedback and it's an outcome-based method. The first task really is to ask the recipient of the feedback to say what they see. So this is about describing and actually giving some encouragement to describe what they see rather than give a sort of overall uh, view of it. That's the S. We ask then what else they might see. So this is the sort of consequences and again in descriptive terms. And then there's an opportunity for the person who's 
giving the feedback, perhaps a trainer to add to this, to say what they've seen and what else they've seen. And then the next part is to really ask the recipient of the feedback to think about what they've seen and then to proceed to perhaps identify together what are the goals, what are the, if they've noticed something, what are the areas for improvement, how do they feel about going forward. So that's really giving the learner an option to think about how that might be achieved. And that's the options and offers, which is the O of set go of, of what would be the next steps. And once these issues have been identified, then the educator's job here really is to help the clinician think about to, how to develop a new skill. And that's perhaps using something that we've discussed before, like a skills rehearsal. Mm. So it sounds like in this, the, the trainer is going to focus attention on a particular bit of the consultation and, and say something like, well, what did you see happening when you were um, asking about this patient's chest pain, let's say? And it might be that they asked a lot of closed questions or something like that. And what were the consequences of that? Well, perhaps the patients, some of the patients' cues or clues weren't picked up. What did you think about that? What effect did that have or what got missed? And then it, it directs attention to the task of the consultation, doesn't it, in saying what's the mm. goal? And then the options is really about the skills you need to achieve that goal. So, you know, actually maybe I noticed the patient was trying to talk about their family history when you were just asking them closed questions but the goal might be to explore that in detail so how would you pick up that clue and what would you do next so that sounds like a much more structured way of giving feedback and will help educators i think to be more focused about what they're doing because as you said at the end both of you commented on how having identified the area to be improved there needs to be something about how to learn and teach specific new skills so julian i wondered if you just wanted to outline how the tart resources can help with teaching and learning of the specific skills identified Thanks, Avril. Each of the chapters in the TARP resource has got suggested teaching methods and also suitable checklists, which will help educators teach and, and help their clinicians to practice these skills. Also, the Calgary-Cambridge Guide is a tremendous resource with detailed lists of all the different consultation skills which can be used in conjunction with the TARP resources. Thank you. The TARP resources give quite specific details about teaching and learning methods, as well as introductions to each kind of skill. So thank you, everyone, for that discussion about feedback. I think it would be really helpful. And if people want to read more about this, other Chapters in the TALP module on effective methods for teaching consultation skills include How Can Educators Unleash the Awesome Power of Generalist Skills? Making Skills Rehearsal Effective? And Can We Really Love to Learn Roleplay? Amongst several other chapters, all designed to help educators take their teaching skills to the next level. Thanks, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators. Making training available to all. 